0: So, so, so today we're looking at the narrative of the resurrection story. We're going to look verse by verse in chapter 20, John chapter 20. If you need a Bible to come forward with Bibles, and we're going to see the story of the very first Easter. And we're going to see within this story of the very first Easter, we're going to see some principles on hope. Hope. What's hope? Well, if you look at the actual definition of the Greek word, the original word, hope is an expectation, a confident expectation of coming good. And what we're going to see is the resurrection brings hope. And it brings hope not only to those that are hurting and have lost, we'll see that in Mary Magdalene, but it brings hope to those that are fearful, like the disciples we'll see this morning. And it also brings hope to those who are doubting, like we'll see in Thomas's life today. And you know what, if any time in the history that I've been around in this country, this is a time where we need hope, isn't it? This last year, this pandemic has taken a lot of people into a hopeless place. This pandemic has caused a lot of people to be hopeless. But here's the good news. Colossians one twenty-seven, Christ in us is the hope of glory. There's hope found in Jesus. No matter what curveballs the world's thrown at, Christ in us is the hope of glory. The resurrection is what Jesus said is the hope of, I am the resurrection of life and he who believes in me even though he dies shall live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And I love what Peter said about this, about the living hope. Uh, First Peter uh, talks about this also and it says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again, here it is right here, to a what? To a living hope through what? through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to attain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And so as Christians, no matter what life is throwing at us, we have hope and our hope is found in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at this narrative story of hope in the resurrection, the hope that the resurrection brings, the hope that of the confident expectation of coming good that the resurrection brings. So let's jump right in. John chapter 20, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Here we go. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. Now, first thing I want you to see there, first day of the week. What's the first day of the week? Sunday. That's interesting because Sunday became the day of worship for the, even the first century Christians. goes all the way back to, we see it in 1 Corinthians 16 and the book of Acts. The, the, the whole worship of God's people changed from Saturday, which was the Sabbath, to Sunday. And you know why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They changed their day. After millenniums of Jewish people worshiping on Saturdays, they changed, the Jewish Christians even altered their day, and they changed it from Sabbath to the Lord's Day because that's the day that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so they celebrated the resurrection on Sunday because they wanted to worship together on the day that Jesus rose from the grave. That's an evidence, by the way, for the resurrection. What would change? Because the early church was Jewish. They were Jewish Christians. What would change them to change after thousands of years to a whole other day for worship? On the first day of the week, it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting there, too, is Mary Magdalene, she was the last person at the cross, and she's the first person at the grave. It's interesting. It actually says she was there early. The words there in the original language is at the fourth watch. Somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., she was there Anoint Jesus' body because she was embalming. Finished the the embalming process, she was bringing spices because Jesus died somewhere between three to six p.m. and they didn't have enough time to fully embalm his body. So Mary said, "I'm going to take care of my Savior, my Messiah," and she came. So I thought I got up early this morning for the sunrise service. It's still dark, somewhere between three to six a.m., and she's making her way to where she saw Jesus being buried, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. She says, I'm going to take care of my Jesus. Now, why was she the the last at the cross and the first at the grave? Because she loved Jesus. And why does she love Jesus so much? Because Jesus loved her and set her free. Remember, we've seen the Gospels. This lady, Mary Magdalene, she, she, she had seven demons in her. Her life was a nightmare before Jesus. And Jesus set her free, saved her, and gave her a life of joy instead of despair. And he who has been forgiven much, or who has ever been forgiven much, loves much. Amen? And she went on to be one of the main disciples of Jesus Christ, and the one that Jesus, listen, she's, she's the one that Jesus first appeared to. It wasn't Peter, it wasn't James, it wasn't John, it was Mary Magdalene. Because Jesus knew how much this lady loved him. And so she's coming now, and it says in, in verse 2, and so she ran... And came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to him, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Now, we don't know where they've laid him. Now, where she, she doesn't, she's not acknowledging the resurrection here. What she's doing is she's saying the body's gone. Now, in that culture, at that time, there was what's called grave robbers. And what they did was they a famous people that would steal their bodies and they'd make money off of their dead bodies and displaying the dead bodies. And so what's going on here is she's thinking someone's stolen Jesus' body. Someone robbed the grave. But Peter, verse 3, went forth and the other disciples, and they were going to the tomb too. Now it says the two, Peter and John, actually, the writer of this gospel, was running together and the two of them running together and the other disciple, that's John, ran ahead faster than Peter and they came to the tomb first. Now that's humorous to me because John's writing this. And he's put himself in third person, but it's actually him and Peter running the tomb. He's, he's probably either in his 80s or 90s. This is about 50 or 60 years later. He is a senior citizen. And what he's doing is, oh, yeah, I remember that. I remember running with Peter. Guess who got there first? I ran faster than him. I was there first. A the little, little, little interesting side, side bit there. And then it says, and then stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And he didn't go in. John didn't go in. But Simon Peter, therefore, also came following him, entering the tomb, and beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, separated, but rolled up in a place by itself. And so the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, you see how he emphasized that again? The other disciple, me, came, I got there first. Entered then also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scriptures that he must rise again from the dead, so the disciples went away again to their own homes. Go back to Mary now. But Mary was standing, Mary Magdalene was standing outside the tomb weeping, still devastated by the loss and the death of Jesus. And so as she wept, she stooped, looked into the tomb. She beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head, one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, these two angels are saying to her now, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, I don't know where they've laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around, beheld Jesus standing there, and didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried away, tell me where you have laid him, and I'll take him away. Do you see the love of Mary for Jesus there? She's saying, I'm just a woman, but you tell me where they stole Jesus' body and where they put Jesus' body, and I will take care of him. I will carry him. I will carry him to back to the tomb where he should be. And she says, I'm gonna, even though my Savior is dead, even though my son, Messiah is dead, I, even in his death, I'm going to take care of my Jesus. I'll carry him back to that tomb. And then when she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus staring, did not know there was Jesus, Verse 15, Jesus said, to her, woman, why are you weeping, whom you are seeking, supposing him to be guarded? She said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you're laid, I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned, and she said in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher, literally translated master teacher. Huh. And Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father, and your Father, and my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Now this is, I can't wait to get to heaven and see the video vault on this. This is a great story. And so, so, so she gets, she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. Now question, why doesn't she recognize Jesus? She spent probably three years almost walking with this guy, having meals with this guy. She knew Jesus. She was one of Jesus' closest disciples. Why didn't she recognize Jesus? Well, a couple different interpretations. One might be she was so devastated and she was weeping, it says, uh, desperately weeping is the original language. She was weeping so hard, maybe through the prism of the tears, she didn't didn't recognize him. Or another interpretation is this, is in Mark chapter 16, it says that after that he appeared to, to... in a different form to two of them. That's a, ro- a man on the road to Emmaus while they were walking along on their way to the country. Maybe in his post-resurrection appearances, he had somewhat of a different form, somewhat of a different appearance. Either way, she didn't recognize him. But then, here's what happens. Jesus says, probably in an intonation, she recognized Mary. Maybe he had a special way of saying Mary. Maybe he said, Mary. Mary. And all of a sudden goes, I know the voice. That's Jesus. And she lit up and goes, Rabbi, You're my teacher! You're alive! And she went from a place of devastation, of weeping uncontrollably, to joy. And I like it. It says, then she starts clinging to him to the point that she, the, the, the word it implies actually uh, clinging with a firm grasp to the point that Jesus said, him, lady, listen, i got some business to do the next 40 days. i got to appear to the other disciples with many convincing proofs, stop clinging to me. And I could see Mary just thinking, hey, I let you go once. You ain't going nowhere, pal. I, I'm clinging like this. Again, showing the love that she had for Jesus. So here's the first seal. There's hope. There's hope in the resurrection. And there's hope in the resurrection because the hope is that Jesus says again, I am the resurrection of life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall what? Shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Why is there hope in the resurrection? Because First Corinthians 15 says, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sting of death away. He conquered death. And that speaks to me because the last 20 years, I've seen some people that I really care about die. My grandparents, my parents, some best friends, some of the best friends I've had in this ministry, one of my closest elders, gone. And I don't know about you, I hate death. I hate it. I hate it because it puts this loss, this emptiness in our souls for the people that have left us. And one of the things I'm looking forward to with heaven, though, is this. Revelation tells us when we get to heaven, there's no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, and no more death. And the other thing that we have with the hope of the resurrection is we're going to a place one day, Christ in us, hope of glory, where there's no more death. But the other hope we have is those that preceded us in death, that had relationship with Jesus, those that preceded us, we get to see him again. Because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us we're going to know fully as we've been fully known. We're not going to know less in heaven than we know now. We're going to know more. And we just see through a glass dimly now. When we get to heaven, there's going to be some heavenly rendezvous, there's going to be some rendezvous, some reuniting with people we love. We care about We're going to be hanging out with them for the rest of eternity. We're going to be walking those streets of gold with them. We're going to be dancing with them and rejoicing in our worship of Jesus. It's going to be awesome for the rest of eternity. And that brings me, I don't know about you, that brings me hope. I tell you what, we have the hope. Because of the resurrection and the way the resurrection conquered death and took the sting of death out of the way because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, we have the hope that no matter what losses we have, hey, the resurrection gives us confident expectation of coming good. And can I get an amen for that church? Amen. I'm looking forward to that. So here's the second part of our story. Let's go on, verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and he said to them, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them, these disciples, both his hands and his side. And the disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus therefore said to them, peace, second time now, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, he says to them, I also, what? Send you. And when he, re- when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them, but if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now I want to see this when I get to heaven too. If there's a video involved, I want to see this too. Because check the picture out here. The disciples, the apostles were hiding in this probably upper room. It says the doors were shut, they were locked. And they were hiding in fear. Why do I say they were hiding in fear? Because two times Jesus had to say, peace, peace be with you, peace be, why is he saying peace be with you? Because they had they didn't have peace, they had fear. Total fear, I believe they were fearing that what happened to Jesus, they were next on the hit list. To be crucified, maybe themselves, because of the persecution they saw in Jesus and said, Hey, we were Jesus' closest disciples. They're coming for us next. They're hiding with locked doors. Check this out in their hiding in fear and locked doors, all of a sudden, poof! What does that mean? Jesus poofed in. Can you imagine? I'd be going, Whoa, what was that? Because I, I, the doors are locked, and he poofed in. And then he says to them, Okay, guys, come here, come here, come here. See my, see my hands and my side? What he's doing there is he was identifying himself as the one that had just died on the cross. And he's also pointing to what he did for them Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Guys, I, I, I did this for you, for your forgiveness. And here's one of, the, one of the interesting things. This is post-resurrection. So this tells us for the rest of eternity, Jesus will bear the scars on his hands and his side in his post-resurrection body for the rest of eternity. And part of our worship in heaven is gonna be based on the fact, Revelation tells us that we're gonna see him as the lamb who is slain. And we're gonna be bowing down to him saying, worthy is the lamb who is slain for me. And we're going to be casting our crowns at his feet saying, Jesus, you did that for me? And again, those holes, that sword pierced side is going to be there and it's going to be bringing us to the point of incredible worship for the rest of eternity because he bore those things for us. Now, what's interesting here too is Jesus now commissions them. And he says to them, hey, hey, as a father has sent me, disciples of Christ... I send you. As a father has sent me to seek and to save those that are lost, I send you to seek out in this world and save those that are lost. As a father has sent me to bring love faith, and hope. I send you disciples now to this world to bring love, faith, and hope to a world that desperately needs it. As the Father has sent me to bring forgiveness, man's greatest need is forgiveness. And and you, you, you go with my name now to bring the greatest need that man has, and that's forgiveness and salvation to their souls. As the Father has sent me to bring hope to a hopeless world, I send you to bring hope to this world. What a great privilege we have. Not only do we have hope when we have Christ, we have purpose. And the purpose is, Jesus told us, you shall go into all creation and preach the gospel for me. You shall go and make disciples of all the nations, right? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. We not only have hope, we got purpose in Jesus. And then it's interesting, after he gives them that commission, he goes, he breathes on him. And what do they receive? The Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting to me. You know why? Because going back to Genesis, in the book of Genesis, to bring physical life, what did God do with the dust of the earth to bring human life? <sighs> Brought physical life through his breath. And now through <sighs> Jesus' breath, he's bringing spiritual life. He's giving them the Holy Spirit. That's, I saw that this week for the first time, that Jesus, as God, was breathing on them so that they would get the spiritual life of the receiving of the Holy Spirit. And then after he breathes on them, he makes kind of an interesting statement. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. Now careful, 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 careful. You you can't go go to the place where we have the ability to forgive people's sins and get them. No, no, no. Only God can really forgive sins, right? So what is Jesus saying here to the disciples? He's saying, We have the ability to to declare forgiveness of sins to people. And when we bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world and people receive it and they receive Christ, we could say, hey, hey, you're forgiven. You're cleansed. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all your sins. As far as the east is from the west, you're forgiven. That's how far your sins are from you. Even though your sin is as scarlet, you're what? You're white as snow. We get to declare that to people when they receive Christ. You're forgiven. No more guilt. No more shame. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We get to declare that to people. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. But here's the second thing that we see. The resurrection brings hope to those that have lost and those that have hurt. But the resurrection also brings, listen, it brings courage and faith to those that are fearful doesn't it? What's the spirit of Christ? 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God's not giving you a spirit of timidity, or another version says fear, but of power and love and discipline. Another version says sound mind. And I tell you, if we ever need to move from the paralysis of fear to the freedom of faith in our country, it's right now. There's so much fear this whole pandemic we've had this last year has gotten a paralysis of fear all throughout our country. I stopped several months ago. I stopped watching the ABC World News because all they do, all they were doing was scaring everybody to death. I mean, it, there's got to be more going on in the world than this pandemic. But 29 of the 30 minutes was just showing hospital rooms with people dying. And I said, that's enough. I don't need to see that every night because it's fear, fear, fear where God wants us to live in faith, faith faith. Amen? That's where we, we, need to, we need to stop this paralysis of fear. We need to be people that walk in faith. And one of the things that gives us faith just about more than anything is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ conquered death. And even if you get this virus, and even if you die, you're a Christian, and you, to be absent from the body, present. present with the Lord. For me to live is Christ. But to die is actually, hey, it's a gain. This is a great deal. Christ in me is the hope of glory. If I get sick and die, I get to get out of this sin-cursed world, and I get to go to a place of glory where I get to be in a place called Jesus, called paradise. It doesn't get better than that. And that gives hope, because hope is a confident expectation of coming good, and the resurrection verifies that even in death we can have hope because we have Jesus Christ. Amen? So we could get over this fear thing and start walking in faith because of the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. Now let's go on with our story. This is an interesting twist here with this story. This is Thomas. You'll see why he got his nickname. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, didymus means he was a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. But the other disciples, therefore, were saying to Thomas, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Hey, Thomas said, unless I shall see in his hands the imprint of the nails, put my finger into the place of the nails, put my hand into his side, hey, Thomas says, I will not. Believe, thus his nickname. What's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. I was telling the other couple of services this morning, I'm so glad in some ways I didn't live during Jesus' time. I'd love to have been walked Galilee with him and stuff, but I'm kind of glad I didn't live during Jesus' time because I wouldn't want to be a Thomas where one of the dumb things I did will be recorded in the Word of God for the rest of eternity. Right? I mean, heaven and earth will pass away. God's world never pass away, and he's going to be doubting Thomas in the scriptures there for the rest of eternity. Oh, I'm so glad I don't No, oh. Anyways, do you see the scene? Jesus appears first day of the week, Easter Sunday. Thomas wasn't there. Now, why wasn't Thomas there? Probably disillusionment, probably devastation. And these other disciples are going up to the upper room to pray, and he says, I'm not going to go pray with you guys. I, and he went into isolation. That's another danger in our culture today is isolation. Because God doesn't want us to be isolated Christians. He wants us to keep being together. Two are better than one, and a quarter of three strands is not easily broken. And listen, don't let anybody tell you coming to church isn't important, because it is. The Bible says, don't forsake our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as the day draws near, right? We need each other. And this is the place that we get faith, hope, and love as we gather in Jesus' name. This is the place. that Thomas missed meeting with the resurrected Jesus because he wasn't in fellowship with these guys. What do we do here on Sunday mornings when we meet together? We're meeting with Jesus Christ. And where two or three are gathered in his name, he is present here. We don't want to miss that. Thomas missed it because he wasn't there. But eight days later, he's back in fellowship. He's in that Upper room, probably with them, and poof! Had to wake some you up there. And Jesus is back. And can you imagine? Ooh! Thomas goes, "Oh my gosh, they were right." And then Jesus says, "Come here, Thomas. Get over here, buddy. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You asked for it. You got it. Come on, come on. Give me your finger." And I think Jesus probably put his his finger through his nail pierced hand. Took his hand, come on, give me your whole hand. Put it through his sword pair side. And he said, Thomas, believe. And Thomas, what did he do? He hit the deck, I think. It's, oh, my Lord and my God. Now, question, when he said, my Lord and my God, did Jesus do like the angel in the book of Revelation? He said, no, no, don't worship me, just worship God. You got this wrong, Thomas. No, 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 he accepted that worship. Why? Because he's God. He accepted the worship that only God should receive. And then Thomas says, my Lord, my God. And then he says this, you believe, Thomas, because you saw. But blessed are those who don't see, and yet what? Church, isn't that the essence of what faith is? Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. And without faith, Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And, you know, First 1 Peter 1, eight talks about this, too, and says this, and though you have not seen him, you what? You love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him. You greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. And that's why Second Corinthians 5 says we as Christians are supposed to walk by faith not by sight. That's what true faith is. the ability to believe and love Jesus. Even though you're not like Thomas, we can actually see him and do those things. Now give Thomas a break a little bit. He went on to become a great missionary. The tradition says that he actually brought the gospel to India of all places and established Christianity in the country of India. And he went on to be a great warrior for Christ and was actually martyred for the cause of Christ. And, and here's the last thing I want you to see. The resurrection brings hope to those who have lost and are hurting. The resurrection brings hope to those that are fearful, and are in the paralysis of fear. But the resurrection also helps with our doubting. And we all have doubts. Pastor John has doubts. There's times where I, I, I go, what in the world? Do I really believe this? All oh, them preaching this, and I really believe it? And that's my flesh. And when I get into doubts like that, you know what really helps me? Two things. Two things. One, I go back to 40-some years ago, in 1978, February, when I asked Christ in my heart, and he forgave my sins, and I began this personal relationship with him, and it changed my life. That's an undeniable fact to me, that Jesus changed my life. The word of my testimony helps me overcome the accuser of the brethren. But the second thing that really helps me with my doubts, is what we're studying today. It's the resurrection. The resurrection is an undeniable, certifiable fact it's not fairy, it's not fable to, fables, it's not something that was made up. Peter again dressed this in, in 2 Peter 1.16 where he says, We don't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, listen to this, he said we were eyewitnesses of what? His majesty, including his majesty in the resurrection. First 1 Corinthians 15, beautiful chapter on it, the resurrection. The whole chapter is about the resurrection, but it starts out about the gospel being that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and then he rose again on the third day. But then it says in 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to, he appeared to Peter, he appeared to James, then he appeared to all the apostles, but then it says and then he appeared to 500 witnesses who were still alive when Paul was writing this years later. How many people does it take in our jurisprudence system, in our judicial system here in America to arrest somebody, convict them, and put them in jail for the rest of their life for murder. How many witnesses does it take? Just really, at the most, two or three, right? Eyewitnesses. Jesus' resurrection had 500 eyewitnesses. It it gets, I tell you what, when you start studying this, you start realizing the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an undeniable, certifiable fact When I was a young Christian in college, actually, I went to this church in Chicago, and the church in Chicago had this gentleman in the church by the name of Lee Strobel, and he had come to faith in Christ in the church I was a part of, and if if you want to see a really great movie, by the way, it's a great Christian movie, it's on his life story, it's called The Case for Christ, and I was in, in that church when he came to Christ, and what happened was his wife, he was a Chicago Tribune journalist. He had studied at Harvard, brilliant guy, but he was an atheist. He was an agnostic or atheist, and his wife was invited to our church, and she got saved. She became a believer in Jesus Christ. And he was so ticked, he took his literary literary skills, his journalism, he said, I'm going to prove her wrong, and I'm going to study this thing. And specifically, he said, I'm going to study the resurrection of Jesus Christ and show her how this is all a bunch of fairies and fable tales. Studied it for a year. You know what happened? He got saved because he realized this isn't fairy, tale, fairy tales or fables. This actually happened, and he came to faith in Christ, studying with his journalistic skills the reality of the resurrection, and it led him to Christ. And then he went on to become a pastor of the church I was a part of there, and today he's one of the top apologetics speakers in the world today because he studied it, he examined it, and he came to the conclusion the resurrection is true. Amen? Amen. Amen Amen and amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. So the resurrection helps us, yes, in our our loss and our pain. It helps us, yes, in our fears, but it also helps us in our doubts. Now let's close up our, our scripture for today. It says this, verse 30. Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. And that's true. There's miracles of Jesus. Only eight of his 35 miracles are listed in the book of John. Only eight of the 35. But John says, I've written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may what? Have life in him. Why did John write about all these miracles of Jesus, including the resurrection? So that people might have life and believe in Jesus and be saved. You know, it's interesting there. He doesn't use the word um, miracles. What word does he use for what Jesus did with the resurrection and his other miracles? What words does he use? Signs. Question. What are signs for? If you're on the road, what are the signs for? To give you direction and show you how to get to it. Hey, I'm a true Southern. I've been here 24 years now, and I, I know how I'm a true Southern? because when I see a sign for Waffle House, <laughs> I mean, I'm directed. I, I'm directed right to that Western omelet with the jalapenos and put some salts on there. I see that sign, I go, oh yeah, that's where we got to go. Waffle House, let's go, and it gets me to Waffle House, right? Someone said, you aren't a true Southerner, you wouldn't order a Western omelet. Okay, I got it. I got it. But I love Waffle House. And that sign leads me when I'm on the road or something to Waffle House. Yep, Woo! let's go. That sign's going to get me right to Waffle House. What are the miracles of Jesus for? What's the resurrection for? It's to lead us to Jesus. So we might believe in him and have life in his name. You know, if you're here this morning and you don't have life yet, my recommendation to you this morning, this Easter Sunday, get it. If you're here this morning and you, don't, you have that paralysis of fear or something going on and you're not living in faith, you're living in doubt, and if, if you're here this morning and if you, if you were to die today and you wouldn't know for certain that you're going to heaven, hey, nail that down this morning. And the way you nail that down, the way you can have an assurance of faith is receiving Christ. John 1.12 says, but as many as receive him in their hearts, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And here's the good news. Jesus loves you. Here's the good news. No matter how bad you think you are, go to Mary Magdalene. This lady had seven demons and became one of Jesus' closest disciples. Church tradition actually says she might have even been a prostitute. But Jesus loves her. And here's the good news. Jesus loves you. And he loves a knucklehead like me, too. He loves you. Open your heart to him this morning. He'll come in. No better Sunday in the whole calendar year to open your heart to Jesus than Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. This is the day Jesus rose from the grave. Let him rise from the grave of your heart and receive him if you need to this morning. And I'll make it real simple. We're just going to pray. And as we're praying, I'm going to lead a prayer called the sinner's prayer. If you've never done this before, here's all you need to do. Just admit you need Jesus. Say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And open your heart to him. We're all sinners, by the way. I'm a sinner. Everybody's a sinner. But the good news, God demonstrates his own love for us. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so just open your heart today if you need to. And I'll make it very simple. I'm going to have you stay in your chair. Just raise your hand if you want to open your heart to Jesus this morning and receive him as Savior or Lord. And if you do that, I'll pray a simple prayer while you're in your chair. I'll pray that you open your heart to Jesus. I'll lead you in that prayer. And then deal done. That's all he's asking for is by faith. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. For our Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, do it today. I did it over forty years ago. It changed my life. That's one decision I've never regretted: is receiving Jesus. You need to do that this morning. Do it this morning. Today's your day. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. God, thank you that your word is true. Thank you, that we shall know the truth, and the truth will set us free. God, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, too. Lord, we thank you that His resurrection brings us faith instead of fear. His resurrection helps us even in our pain and our loss. His resurrection helps us with our doubts and uncertainties, God. Just thank you so much for the resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for the cross that you endured for us. We will worship you for the rest of eternity, seeing you as the Lamb who was slain for our sins. And thank you, Jesus, too. You disarmed the forces of hell on that cross, the powers and principalities, and then on the third day, the first day of the week, you rose from the grave. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you that you took the sting of death out and you resurrected from the grave and conquered death. Thank you for that, Lord. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to receive Christ. May today be their day. May today be a day where they just open their heart to Jesus and say, enough. I'm done with trying to do this thing on my own. I want Jesus to help me. I want Jesus to be my Savior and to be my Lord. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, heres how, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me that I might open my heart to Jesus. If you're here today and you want to do that, praise the Lord. Right back here in the middle. Keep your hand up. I'll pray for you in just one minute. Anybody else? If you want to receive Christ, right back here in the back row in the, in the left corner right here, just, I'll pray for you in just a second. Keep your hand raised and I'll pray for you in just a second. Anybody else here this morning, if you want to pray this prayer with me, just raise your hand and I'll pray for you in just one minute. Don't be afraid. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart right back here in the corner. Praise God. Great decision. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you in just a second. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, there's only a doorknob on the inside. He's not going to force his way in. You've got to open it. And I'll pray that prayer for just one second. All right, for those of you that have your hands raised, I want you to be bold here. Don't be ashamed. I want you to be bold. I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to stand up as I pray for you. Just go ahead and stand up. Praise the Lord back here. Stand up and don't be afraid to stand up for Jesus. He died for you in public. You can stand for him. Right back here. Praise the Lord right back here. All right, we're going to pray a prayer out loud now for those that are standing. Just pray this out loud. Church, you can pray with them. A number of you are standing. Praise the Lord. Just pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. And Lord Jesus, I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Great decision, you guys. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Let's all stand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.